I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Jack Wiley, author of The Employee-Centric Manager, Eight Keys to People Management Effectiveness. America is experiencing the big quit. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 4 million workers left their jobs in April 2021, and when one out of every four workers planned to look for a new job post-pandemic. A major contributing factor is an epidemic of poor management. Dr. Jack Wiley's Comprehensive Guide for Improving Day-to-Day People Management Skills provides a clear, concise, and easy-to-follow framework for improving effectiveness and the psychological well-being of employees. It includes the five key behaviors employees value most and the challenges of managing a hybrid-slash-remote workplace. Dr. Wiley was awarded the prestigious Professional Practice Award by the Society of Industrial Organizational Psychology, a Lifetime Achievement Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Practice of Industrial Organizational Psychology. Welcome to the show, Jack. Catherine, delighted to be with you. Thank you. Great to, yeah, it, well, it's great to have you here. I guess I had the misconception uh, that people were uh, leaving jobs and not going back to work because of the pandemic and they were quarantined and they decided I'm not going to work one, nine to five and I'm going to take vacations and have fun and I have a whole new outlook on life. But that's not necessarily true. It doesn't sound like from your book. That's not the only reason people are quitting their jobs or it's because of poor management. Right. There are a variety of reasons why people might leave their work. Uh, And it depends on their personal circumstances, what they can afford to do and what kind of household income they have. But in my research, what I found was that there are certain attributes that employees want in a manager. And if a manager displays those attributes and is truly employee-centric, Uh, That helps uh, ease the pathway for employees. Uh, A lot of what you're talking about in terms of decisions to leave have to do with stress, and I'm sure you're well-versed in that topic given your background, but basically stress is simply the circumstance where the demands placed on you outstrip the resources you have available. And over time, uh, if those conditions prevail, it's going to lead to burnout. And I think a lot of the Uh, employees who are choosing to leave uh, at this point in time voluntarily, that is a contributing factor, this sense of being stressed to the point of being burnt out and wanting to look for something entirely different. Okay. So that's one kind of stress, but also there's a lot, as you say, there are a lot of pieces to this puzzle. And if you have poor management, and as you say in the book, and you have managers who just haven't been trained well, they really don't know what they're doing necessarily, that adds to the stress of employee dissatisfaction. Uh, And this is true across the board. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's 24 million managers in the United States who have responsibility for, quote, unquote, people management. So when I surveyed a representative sample of those uh, managers, what I found was that over 70% had either no management training at all or the training they had received was no more than four hours. And when we think about the centrality of people management uh, to the role that a manager plays, uh, that's really not much of a contribution to their development at all. So many operate uh, with a sense of unawareness 
uh, about how they should proceed uh, to be an effective manager of other people. Well, to be an effective manager of other people, you say you have to lead with empathy versus control. Now, what does that mean? Are we saying that most managers feel like they have to control in order and they have to be you know, literally bossing their employees around in order to be an effective manager? And you're saying, no, that's not true. They have to empathize with their employees. Right. They, they need to fundamentally show support and understanding of their employees. This command and control mentality for how to manage is a little passe at this point in time. There's still probably some industries and organizations where that fits, but increasingly employees are not looking to operate under that kind of management style and bristle uh, at that kind of experience. What I found was that in terms of the behaviors of managers, there are five things that employees really want. First of all, and and really this is the most frequently identified attribute that employees want in their managers, is that they be supportive and understanding. Uh, we're talking here about their the manager being present, accessible, encouraging of employees, uh, helping them uh, workload balance, if you will, to be understanding of employees. That is, they're going to listen to what employees have to say. They're going to be considerate and friendly. They're going to show empathy. Uh, that's really critical, the support and understanding. Secondly, uh, employees want their managers to provide recognition. Uh, this is the old pat on the back, at a boy, at a girl type of recognition. It isn't necessarily a pocketbook issue. It's an appreciation issue. The third thing, and this actually isn't it's sort of new. It's not consistent with what we find in other leadership theories. Employees were very emphatic that they want to be treated with dignity and respect. What that means is they want their manager to trust the experience they bring to the job, to be respectful of their opinions, to seek their opinions out, to treat them as a competent adult who's here to make a contribution. Number four, they want clear performance expectations. Now, this is a little more uh, like initiating structure, if you will, but it's, it's the, the, the notion of define success for me. Help me understand what you regard as success so I know clearly what the target is I'm shooting for. And then fifthly, uh, as a behavior, employees are looking for managers to reward their performance contributions. What we're talking about here is making sure you, uh, as a manager, you understand what kind of rewards are meaningful to employees, that you're fair in the compensation that's uh, distributed, but also to provide employees with uh, rewards, if you will, that are training and development-oriented, supporting people in in getting the training they need to move on to the next uh, potential role in the organization, uh, helping them establish a career path. These are really the five behaviors that employees most want in their immediate manager. Now, there's there's a skill and two values, but that's the starting point, the five behaviors that employees most want from their immediate boss. What do you say to those managers who say, listen, this sounds a little bit like social work to me. This sounds like uh, I'm their therapist. I'm their counselor. I don't have time. I can't do that. What the, you know, we've got to get this work to be done. And I, I, there are many managers, I would assume, and perhaps these obviously are the managers who are not getting the right kind of training, who would balk at this, who would say, no, no I'll be supportive. I can do some of this stuff, but the rest of it, it it's, up to my empo- it's up to the employee. Well, certainly it is up the employee to bring their knowledge, their skills, their abilities to the job. And most employees have a, have a real strong need to be effective, to be competent. I mean, that's one of the bo- most basic human needs 
that we have is to be competent at what we do. But I would, what I would say to those managers are, are you satisfied if 25, 50% of your employees are constantly on the lookout to go to work someplace else? Um, don't you have a responsibility to attract and retain talented people? Do you understand what the cost is of someone voluntarily resigning who is a good employee? That's something we would call regrettable turnover. Uh, most uh, replacement cost for knowledge workers uh, is pegged at about 100% of their annual compensation. So if you've got talented people who are in that knowledge worker category and you're saying, I don't care if they stay or leave, I'm not going to change how I behave, uh, understand that every time someone walks out the door, you've got, to, uh, you've got to recruit, you've got to select, you've got to orient, you've got to train, you've got to develop, bring them up to an acceptable level of performance. And by the time that's all said and done, there's a real dollars and cents uh, concern here roughly equated to uh, one times an annual compensation for that, that worker. So this, this is much more than just a, man, uh, a matter of, of touchy-feely. This is a, a matter of how do you attract, retain, engage, uh, and keep your uh, recruitment expenses low. And you say this, and they're referred to as transformative principles, apply also to, to mom-and-pop uh, shops, startups, and even Fortune 500 companies. So it, these management skills apply across the board, it sounds like. It, it, truly, uh, they are universal. Uh, what I did, Catherine, in this research uh, upon which the book is based is I actually went out to a representative sample of workers in 27 countries around the world, and I asked them this simple question. What is the most important thing you want from the manager for whom you work? And I was looking at people at all job levels, all industries, all backgrounds educationally. Uh, it was truly representative of, of the workforce in these 27 countries. And that's what I'm sharing with you now. This is what they told me they most wanted in their immediate boss. This would be the kind of boss they would build or design uh, if they were giving, given a chance to do so. But in addition to those, those five behaviors, what they also told me was they want to work for a manager who's skilled at decision-making. Uh, when we're skilled at something, that means we're, we're good at it. Uh, we're practiced at that. It's a little bit like shooting free throws in a basketball game. Uh, you, you want a high percentage on your free throw shots. Well, employees want to work for a manager who's skilled at problem-solving and decision-making. Uh, that is, they make decisions quickly. They take uh, responsibility. Uh, they remove roadblocks and obstacles to getting work done. Uh, they don't dither in their decision-making, and they learn from past mistakes. So employees want to work for that kind of manager. But in addition, and again, something that's relatively unique about my research, is that employees also identified two personal standards of behavior uh, that were very important to them uh, in regards to the manager uh, for whom they worked. One was that I want to work for a manager who's fair and just, someone who's going to provide equal treatment of employees, who's going to act with objectivity and fairness, who's going to be consistent, follow ethical guidelines. That's what they mean by uh, a manager who's fair and just. But the second personal value is sort of uh, uh, kind of the sister to that, if you will. They want to work for a manager who's honest and trustworthy, someone who is forthright, they're transparent in their communication. Very importantly, they walk the talk. 
That is, they act with integrity, uh, they're reliable, they perform their work honestly, and they want employees to perform their work uh, honestly and within guidelines as well. So those eight attributes altogether are what forms the employee-centric manager. Well, in your research, and you were surveying, what, 80,000 workers, 27 countries, what about cultural differences? That's the first thing I thought of when all these countries and all the research you did, there have to be some cultural differences or not. It's You're saying it's the same across the board, no matter uh, what countries uh, they come from. Right. Well, we have so much data that when you look at cultural differences, yes, statistically, they might emerge as a significant difference culture by culture. But at a big picture level, and to most of us, in an everyday sense, uh, what you find is that the differences are really marginal. The differences are minor. In fact, what I was looking for, is there a universal answer to this question? And the countries that were involved in this research represent 85% of the world's gross domestic product. And so if I have representative samples of workers in those 27 countries, basically what's emerging from this research is a universal statement about the type of manager that uh, employees want to go to work for. Uh, You know, it's interesting in the United States, for example, you go back to support and understanding the first attribute we talked about. Actually, senior executives are more likely to identify that as what they most want in their boss than are individual contributors who have no management responsibilities. So this isn't something that's unique to people uh, lower on the rung, so to speak, in terms of uh, the hierarchy of organizations. These are attributes that, that are sought after at all levels in the organization. Let's talk about generational differences, because I'm thinking of the different generations and how that plays out with the different generations from millennials to Gen X's to baby boomers to traditionalists. Uh, they're all, you know, in terms of diff- in terms of demographics, they're they're very different. Uh, what are their expectations for a manager? All the same? Right. Well, we, again, we did look at that. We looked at that carefully. There are some differences. But they're not major differences, but but I'll share with you a couple of them. Uh, For example, the younger uh, crowd is more interested in career advancement and career development. Uh, Also, it's very important to them to work for an organization with whose mission they can align. Uh, For older workers, uh, and and especially those who are about to go into retirement, making sure that they're getting fair uh, compensation is critical because they're trying to build up that nest egg. They also have less tolerance uh, for managers who don't operate with a sense of honesty and, and trustworthiness. So uh, they, uh, that, that's critical to them in, ter- in terms of what they're looking for. But again, I would put the emphasis on the fact that the differences between the generational groups as it relates to what they want from their immediate boss are more minor than they are major. And I would take the position also that a lot of times uh, in the popular press, you, you see them grab onto something. Uh, but for us who are approaching this from a scientific point of view, uh, this notion of the generational differences is a little bit more hype than it is reality. What about, they, you know, what they, they say that uh, millennials, for instance, only stay at a, the, a job for two, two and a half years not even three years max, every two years they change jobs. So I assume as they're changing jobs, they're also changing changing managers. Are they looking for better management or something different? 
Right. Well, managers certainly have an outsized role in a decision that employees make about where they're going to go to work. But I've been studying turnover intentions and actual turnover behavior for decades now. And what I've found pretty consistently over time is that what, what, what really influences a person's decision to leave an organization typically falls into five categories. Number one, am I confident in the future success? of this organization because I want to be on a winning team. Uh, number two, uh, do I feel that I'm recognized? Am I appreciated uh, in the job that I have? Uh, number three, is there an opportunity for me to grow and develop? Uh, am I getting the training and the career guidance uh, that, I'm, that I'm looking for? Uh, certainly number four uh, is job person match. Am I doing the kind of work that generates excitement for me? Is, uh, do, um, is there a buzz to the work itself in terms of getting up and going to work each day and looking forward to what I have to do? And then number five uh, is work-life balance. Uh, do I work for an organization that, that respects uh, the work-life balance? Certainly there are times when in any organization you're going to have to put out at max level, uh, perhaps with overtime hours for some extended period of time. But generally, uh, workers want to be in an organizational setting where uh, there's a respect for that and uh, there's ways that managers can compensate over time when those conditions prevail uh, to reduce that demand, that stress level, and bring things back down to a kind of a normal level of activity. Jack, I mentioned in the beginning, in the intro, the challenges of, which is, something that you do address, and I want to address it now in the interview, challenges of managing a hybrid uh, slash remote workplace, because that seems to me that that's something that is just has evolved from the COVID experience and quarantining and will continue, it it seems to me. People, uh, employees aren't necessarily going to be going to work nine to five in an office every day. They're going to split it maybe home two days, going to work three days. Uh, So how does this all fit into that kind of a context? Right. Uh, You're absolutely right. I think the model that's going to emerge, and, you know, the the workplace dynamic has changed, uh, and I think forever uh, in that sense. And the model that's going to emerge is that that hybrid model. This is for office workers. Of course, we're not talking about uh, necessarily people who are working in manufacturing situations or processing plants. They don't have options for that. They've got to be at the place of work. But for those office workers who can work remotely, uh, that hybrid model is what's going to emerge. There are a couple of things that that are going to be important in doing this uh, that that I've found in in my consulting and, and my research. Number one, that under those conditions, and particularly during the pandemic, uh, when people transitioned uh, to this remote work, there are things that they need from their manager more so than they did in the past. Uh, A lot of them were working with uh, the same level of demand, but fewer coworkers. So they need their manager to step in and provide workload support and and guidance for that additional workload. Number two, uh, and this is still prevailing, for many people, uh, you know, as the statistics would reveal, there's a concern among some uh, that they be safe and physically well uh, in, a, in an office type of environment. So whatever can be done to allay those fears is pretty important. But the third thing for remote workers uh, that managers need to do more of 
is flexibility. If I'm going to be working at home, if I'm going to be, you know, challenged by uh, the schooling of my children, of child care, this type of thing, uh, they want more flexibility in terms of what their managers can do for them, allowing time off without uh, repercussions, having, allowing them to have a little bit more of a flexible uh, work schedule. So that, that whole management of remote workforce is important. Now, what I'm also finding is that many organizations are interested in putting in place performance monitoring systems. So these are IT-based systems that monitor the performance of remote workers. This really smacks up against the notion of of employees wanting to be treated with dignity and respect. So we've got some natural tension there. And depending upon uh, how these systems are put in place, there could be some real blowback uh, and resentment on the part of employees with regard to those systems. I understand why organizations might want to do it. Uh, in the past, you could walk down the hall, you could talk to your employees, you could monitor their performance that way. You can't do that uh, under remote work, but I think organizations are going to have to be very careful about how they manage performance monitoring systems if they put those in place. The third thing is, we, and we've, a lot of this is about managers and their effectiveness, but we haven't done a great job uh, across uh, the workforce in the United States and more generally in terms of training managers to be good at managing virtual teams. Uh, so this is something that's been thrust upon them, uh, but now they need tools, they need techniques, they need models to follow on how they can effectively manage virtual teams. So there are a number of factors that come into play. There's also the issue of proximity bias. If I'm someone who's comfortable working in the in the office, I get a lot more face time with the manager. The manager may start coming to me on a much more regular basis to test out new ideas. Uh, I kind of vault into that in-group uh, as opposed to the out-group that the manager doesn't see as often. And so you can have tension between those who are more likely to be in the office and coworkers who don't have that same benefit of that uh, face time and, and direct interaction with the immediate boss. So there's a ton of issues out there that are, are going to be, that managers are going to have to approach uh, with, with a sense of balance, with a sense of, of wisdom, uh, and with an acknowledgement that different employees are coming into this type of arrangement with different expectations and different needs. So it seemed to me in this kind of a situation, you are going to need a very, I say, sophisticated managers. Uh, it's a whole new world order in terms of these kinds of employees, this hybrid way of working. You got, so, I, I mean, as you mentioned, several issues, and I'm sure there are many more, and I'm sure there are many more also in your book, obviously. Um, can you give us a website and or websites to go to so that we can get more information about your work, about what you do, and obviously about the book itself. But uh, I'm assuming that uh, you would have information about where is this training? Is are these tra- is, is the training endemic to the particular organization or are there books to read or are there places to go? If, if What do we do if we're right. wanting to be? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I, I would encourage people to read my book. Uh, you can yes, get it available at www.employeecentricity.com, or you can go to www.engagetoexcel.com. 
Um, soon the book will be available on Amazon. It's just been recently published and, and is out. Uh, so there are going to be a number of ways to get access to the book. You know, I, I think, Catherine, one of the things that we've been talking about is awareness. Are, are managers aware of what the needs of employees are, and can they be responsive to them? Are they aware of their own level of success in operating as an employee-centric manager? Uh, one of the things that, that I found interesting in the run-up to the book is that I have, I, I have results of 15,000 workers in the United States evaluating the effectiveness of their immediate boss against these attributes of the employee-centric manager. I also have managers self-evaluating. And what I found is that generally, managers rate themselves about 15 to 20% more effective than do their uh, subordinate employees. And so we, we've got a gap yeah, that there That does as not well. surprise me. That's yeah, not a surprise it, at all. It's but not I think surprising. Will, we we no. see it once again. We have one minute left, but I I just want to hone in on that word you said, awareness, awareness, awareness on the manager's part and also awareness on the employee's part. I mean, obviously, that's critical. Um, Dr. Jack Wiley, it's it's been great having you on the show. I want to mention the book again, The Employee-Centric Manager, Eight Keys to People, Management, Effectiveness. And we've been talking to author Dr. Jack Wiley. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate the interest. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> 